It's the bottom line on News Radio 610, KONA. From the Tri Cities to Olivia to DC, we break down. Break it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. With your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Welcome into the bottom line. News Radio 610-KONA, 547-1610 is the phone number if you'd like to get involved. You can also reach us via email at 610-KONA.com, the bottom line page. Your name, where you're listening, what you'd like to say. We're on Twitter at Bottom Line 610, Parlor and Facebook at the Bottom Line 610, and the free mobile app available through the Google Play and the Apple Stores. I'm Rob Francis. He's Ed Dawson. Coming up at 3.30, we will talk with Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District and an update on how things are going uh, in the legislative session. Um, until we get to that point, however, Ed, there's a couple roads we could go down. We could go down the one that's just breaking news, that it's kind of... I guess the best way that I can describe it is the New York State Legislature acting like the cat playing with the yarn ball. Um, they, it's just broken that they have stripped Governor Andrew Cuomo of his emergency powers on the heels of a third woman coming out and making sexual harassment allegations against Andrew Cuomo. Just came down within the last minute. They were meeting earlier today. In the last minute, it just came down that the New York State Legislature has agreed to yank those emergency powers. Why do I associate it with a cat playing with a yarn ball? Because now the state legislature, who already was angry with Cuomo over the uh, misreporting of the deaths, and dragging them into it, saying, we told you this. No, you never told us that. Trying to put them and make the state legislature look bad. Now they're having their revenge. Now they are toying with Cuomo. Start with the emergency powers. We're going to neuter you. And then we are going to increase the calls for your resignation until you are not only stripped of your power, but you are humiliated as well. I think the whole thing is farcical. And I don't think that they are going to go to that point because... And and I I would I would not even characterize it as as neutering uh, Governor Cuomo because look what do politicians seek and try to keep the most power they have a very powerful governor in in Cuomo and even though they have their disagreements uh, they don't want him to resign. There are calls for his resignation, and believe me when I say this, if there was a different letter next to his name and this, all, this, uh, all these accusations came out, that, they'd be forced to resign in a second in a, a, quote, New York minute. But they don't want him to resign. They're a little ticked at him. There's a little power play going on. So they've stripped him of his powers, which have nothing to do with the sexual allegations against him other than they're not going to make him resign or push for him to resign. So they're going to do this instead. And, and it's a little, you know, it, it's not, it, it's not a neutering. It's, it's a rolled up 
newspaper swat on the butt because now all it does is it it granted it grants the the New York legislature a little bit more power that they get to impose all the restrictions on on the people in New York state and Cuomo doesn't but he gets to keep his nice position and he can just go on and and you know work on helping everyone forget what just happened see here's here's where I can't disagree with you more this and and I'm I'm going to I'm going to pull back from my my past here this is the beginning of East Coast justice. This is something that happens when you had the, the one thing about New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, a number of you New England states, if you're crossed, woe be you. Especially if it is a polit- if it's political infighting, the mentality still exists from decades ago that you you don't you don't throw your kin under the bus, and Cuomo attempted to do that as he tried to get himself out from under the nursing home scandal. He tried to lay some of the blame at the feet of the New York State Legislature. And they basically backed up, up and up and said, no, this is not happening. So now you see him not just trying to backpedal from that scandal, but now being embroiled in another one. And they see this as an opportunity to put the dog out of its misery. This is step one. I'm telling you right now, this is step one. This will not be the only course of action that the New York State Legislature takes. Because if you think this is going to be the last person that's going to come forward, you haven't been paying attention. There will be another one. If this isn't solved soon, there could be two more. Andrew Cuomo is not the type that only stops at three. The type, and and just reading the allegations of how he goes about it and how he approaches these women and what he does, this is somebody who has a pattern of behavior. So if you don't think more are going to come forward, there's a real good possibility that could happen. And the longer this goes on, that likelihood increases. Until he's out, I I I get the whole East Coast justice, and and I, I totally I, I understand it. I don't fully because I've never been involved with it directly, but I, I get what you're saying. But I also think that party unity amongst the Democrats is so important that they they have become a well oiled machine. And there's a reason for that. They know how to play the game and are very successful in the game of politics. Now, I could be wrong. You know, maybe the pressure mounts and he resigns. But I don't see that happening. I I think that this was 
This was something that was negotiated uh, with Cuomo uh, saying, you know, what are we going to do about this? Well, I'm sure as heck not going to resign. Okay, well, we're going to do this instead. We got to we got to do some show of force here to make it look like, you know, you're you know, that we don't like what you did, you know, to the general public. But we're we're going to back off on our on the calls for you to resign. But don't throw us under the bus again. I think that's the conversation that probably happened because, look, I, I get the East Coast mentality. I, I've had plenty of friends and relatives with the East Coast mentality. I get it. But this is politics. This trumps everything. This is about getting and keeping power. Unless you are talking about a plan underneath the surface to elevate, say, the mayor of New York into that position, then, you know, by by members, you know, power players in New York on the Democratic Party, unless there's something like that, I, I think this is, I think, I think they've they've made their move. And now the, the next move will be to move on from this. I don't believe that's where they're going to stop. I think they want Andrew Cuomo gone. Um, Cuomo, I mean, and remember, we go back to the book. We go back to all these things that have occurred over the course of this pandemic with Andrew Cuomo at the helm and how things have gone so south and so badly south. The other thing to remember is that there are lawmakers, I'm sure, in that New York Assembly that believe if they don't act, it could come back to hurt them. Because when you have Democrat lawmakers that are willing to go so far as to not only strip him of his emergency powers, but call for his resignation and even openly discuss impeachment, that means they're hearing it from their Democrat constituents. And so they're going to feel the pressure. And you know what happens when you feel the pressure where your political butt is on the line. You're going to sacrifice someone else's. And I do believe this ends with Andrew Cuomo either resigning or there are impeachment charges that are filed. Because in New York, they impeach. They don't recall. So it is a different process there than it is in Washington State. 547 if you'd like to join the conversation. You can email us, too, by going to the website 610kona.com, the bottom line page. Send us your question or your comment. Twitter at Bottom Line 610. Now, back to the show presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA 547 1610. If you would like to get involved, we got an email from Robert in Richland said, I don't know if I heard it right, but for the it guys on the it show, now that Texas is moving out of COVID restrictions and our governor doesn't have a phase three, why don't we in our county? Develop our own phase three. Well, it's not just Texas, Mississippi as well. Yes. Both of them are moving completely out, um, ending masking mandates and opening businesses 100%. Uh, Why can't we do it in our county, develop our own? Well, we could. We just couldn't implement it because 
unfortunately, we do not have the authority to do so based on the way the uh, state constitution is written and the statutes regarding the governor's emergency powers. We could write it down all we want, but we can't actually put anything in play. Um, Individual states have rights yes. under the U.S. Constitution. Individual counties do not. No, not not <laughs> under probably any constitution that for that matter. But you bring up Texas and you bring up Mississippi. Uh, we know that uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has rolled things back quite a bit. He hasn't. He hasn't taken the extra step, but I, I'm I'm interested to see if there are any other dominoes that fall in that uh, area of the country, uh, in the kind of Gulf region, where there are Republican governors. Look, Iowa, of all places, is one of the least restrictive states right now. Um, so where there are Republican governors, will there be more dominoes that fall after Texas and uh, Mississippi, uh, you know, stop their mask mandate. Uh, keep your eye on Idaho. Uh, things like that. Um, it's also interesting because, as much as I, uh, this this is the, these are the bullets that I take for you, our our valued listener. Uh, is I will wade through the swamp that is social media just to be able to report to all of you, so you don't have to wade through that cesspool. Um, but when the Texas governor announced the mask mandate was going to be lifted at the state level, the people on the left in the state of Texas absolutely lost their minds. Yep. And they are going to, they were saying, well, I'm going to keep wearing my mask. I don't care what the governor says. To which I say, good. Good. This should be, now that we are out of the danger zone, in my opinion, of this pandemic, unlike a year ago, and maybe even through the summer, we are out of the danger zone. So now it should be an individual's choice. If you want to wear a mask, do it. Wear 20 of them if you want. Put on a hazmat suit. Never leave your home. Never whatever you want to do to keep yourself safe. This is a this is a free country still. For how much longer, who knows. But for now it is. But on the flip side also goes. So I applaud Texas and Mississippi and any of the other states that are loosening restrictions. I know there's still virus out there. I know that there are variants. I know uh you know there there are people that are going to disagree with that statement. But there's also a lot of vaccine now being put out. And supposedly, uh, we heard Joe Biden say that uh, he has upped the timeline where now he believes that every adult in the United States will have the ability to get vaccinated, meaning there's enough supply depending on what your state's uh, criteria is, there will be enough supply to vaccinate every adult in the United States by the end of May. So he says. Which is a month or two earlier than what he originally said. Okay. So does that mean by the end of May, this summer, whatever? Look, 
there's going to be a percentage of the population who never, ever, ever, under any circumstance, wants to return to normal pre-pandemic. There's just there's going to be that group of people. My fear is that those people are going to be the loudest and that vocal minority that is wreaking havoc on this country is going to have a bigger say than they should in the direction that we go. So I applaud Texas, Mississippi, Florida, anybody else who thinks that they are out of harm's way and can start dialing some of these back. Uh, And I pray for the day that it happens in the Northwest, but I could be praying a long time. Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Daniel Kennewick. Daniel, what's up? Hi, gentlemen. Uh, Good news about Texas opening up today. But uh, what I learned over the weekend from the CPAC conference and event is that Florida is really, they were 90% open and uh, no mandated mask and the restaurants are are um, busy and people are really liking Florida and there is an influx of uh, expatriates from other states coming in. So this is really uh, tells the tale. I'm out. Appreciate the call. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, Florida is not quite there. Uh, the, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas says his state is going to be, quote, 100% open uh, a week from tomorrow, I think, is is when everything gets fully implemented. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's see some of the other dominoes fall. Let's see if there are huge spikes in COVID cases in those states. Let's see if those restrictions have to be re-implemented like many on the left are praying for. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But hats off to Texas and Mississippi for being first in the water. Okay? You guys are first in the water. You tell us how it is. And hopefully more people will join in. Hey, come on in. The water's fine. Uh, and, and we'll just see. Um, but I don't hold out much hope for anybody on the West coast. Um, we were, we were first to the party and I'm sure we'll be the last to leave coming up. Uh, Rob, uh, slated to join us at three 30 is uh, Republican representative, Mary Dye of Pomeroy. I say slated to, I know that, uh, the uh, house of representatives has been, uh, taking floor action uh, for a, a large chunk of today. Uh, so we hope that uh, she will be joining us. Uh, cause we've got a number of things to discuss, what's going on in Olympia. And uh, plus, she's just, she's very pleasant. Yes. And so we, we, we enjoy pleasant guests on our program, too. So, Absolutely. Representative Dyes always being gracious with her time and uh i i still will not forget um what was it the end of the 18 session she pulled off on the side of the road and called us yeah oh yeah driving back home driving back home from the session she's like i've got a full mountain dew and i'm angry i need to vent (laughs) i do the the floor is yours (laughs) i do remember that (laughs) the floor is yours so you can go right ahead but i don't uh, know if she's uh 
quite as angry now, but well, she may have a Mountain Dew with her. Who knows? It's entirely possible. I know the last time we talked, the low-carbon fuel standard was a topic. I'm sure she's going to have so much to say about that as well. Back with more of the bottom line after this. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. Robinette hanging with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Perfection Tire, four locations in the Tri-Cities waiting to serve you. Been here almost 60 years, and they do a lot more than tires, though. They certainly are known for and have earned an incredible reputation as far as tires are concerned. Great selection. You can check them out on their website, perfectiontire.com, as well as all of the services they provide, from hoses and belts to tune-ups, shocks and struts, Perfection Tire, four locations in the Tri-Cities waiting to serve you. Joining us on the line from the 9th Legislative District in Pomeroy, Representative Mary Dye. Good afternoon, Representative Dye. How are you? Well, good afternoon. I'm doing great. How are you doing? You know, we're, we're doing all right. Two weeks ago we had snow. Now it's in the 60s. Things are coming along nicely there. Uh, I wish I could wish I could say that things were coming along as nicely in Olympia. Um, I know the last time we spoke, we discussed a bit about the low-carbon fuel standard, and now that has passed the House and is on its way to the Senate. Um, I guess the first question I'll ask you in that regard is, have you uh, had heard anything, any indication about what the what the prospects for the low-carbon fuel standard are in the Senate? We know it hasn't gone well there in the, in the past. Is there a possibility that it will befall the same fate again? Well, I can just tell you that we made every effort to make sure that people understood that this is a bill about changing the economy and it has nothing to do with the environment. And that case was made really well on Saturday. We we debated five hours on this bill and the case was made. I mean, they had nothing to rebut what we were saying. And, you know, in reality, what it does is it creates a carbon market that will run the price of fuel. And that carbon market is run by our favorite state agency. So basically what you're saying is you're creating a situation where the fuel producers in our state and nation will have to pay deficits that are determined by our Department of Ecology. So our own state government gets to pick the winners and losers, and then then they will offer credits to the companies or or industries that they feel are worthy of receiving um, credits. And those it's a big transfer of wealth. And it, this is the part of the thing that if any of your listeners listen to the National Talk Radio, you know, you'll hear these things about, you know, the the economic transformation. And this is part of it. It's one of many bills that we've seen in the House, and we're going to see some of the bills coming across from the Senate, like the cap and trade. At least that one's transparent. It's not trying to hide directly underneath an environmental pretext. So I don't know. I, I, I get really – I feel like um, the the agenda is out there for people to see. It's just hard to, to um, – get people to focus and realize that the reason why they're going to run the cost of your home heating, the run the cost up of your, of your fuels that you need to operate as a farmer, a rancher, a, a, you know, contractor, all of these things that they're doing is, is based on a couple of mis, 
assumptions. They assume that if you make it more expensive, that people will use less of it. But the reality is, is that it's required. I mean, there is no, in economic terms, it's no um, elasticity in the demand curve, meaning that you have to have fuel to go to work. You have to have fuel to operate a farm. You have to have fuel to harvest logs in the forest. You have to have fuel to ship your goods to the overseas markets. I mean, it's just not that like you can give it up. And 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 then to have your Department of Ecology deciding who gets to win in the game. And you know who gets to win? Not us. The people out of state, the people in international corporations that get to bid these credits out. And that's what's going to run our price of our fuel up. And I, I figure that it'll probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of 57 cents for a gallon of gasoline and maybe 63 cents for a gallon of diesel in the onset. And that was just done by a study at the Puget Sound Clean Air Agency that they they just cranked the economic numbers. In California already, they're not even halfway to their goal, and their numbers are running somewhere close to 23, 24 cents. I'm not real sure. But um, Joe Schmick, he, he gave testimony about – um, the different states and California has the third lo- highest um, price for gasoline and Oregon, which has a low carbon fuel standards, has the fourth highest um, price for gasoline right now in the nation. We're ta- talking really. We're talking with Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District here on the bottom line. Representative Dye, obviously the agenda for the Inslee administration and the Democrats in the legislature, is, among other things, is to reduce carbon footprints, to uh, help the environment. But they, like you said, are kind of hung up on the notion that the only way to address this is to force change by uh, higher taxes, uh, not only for the industry, but for the people to force them into an alternate uh way of of, uh, having their energy produced or something along those lines. Offer, if you can, is there an alternative to getting something similar in a result, but doing it in a different way? I think most people would like a cleaner environment, uh, less carbon, uh, you know, cleaner fuels uh, without going the taxation route. How would you uh, propose to maybe find that middle ground? Right. And so it isn't even middle ground. It's acknowledgement of the innovation that is already taking place, innovation that has been occurring for decades, and recognizing the tremendous gains that can be made through free market. And you, you look at this was some of the testimony on the floor was the reality of, for example, the diesel engines, um, diesel engines in trucks have um, diesel exhaust fluid, which is an ad- added expense. It reduces um, your your mileage. Um, and so in a way, you're burning more diesel. And in that regard, um, you know, they're going against themselves. But with the diesel exhaust uh, fluid in there, it really does reduce the other um, particulates and, and pollutants that are common in diesel engines. And they truly are what the air coming into the manifold is um, dirtier than what's leaving the exhaust with the new technology in Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 engines. And um, it's the same thing with um, the natural gas industry. They really applied a lot of innovation in that space. And 
every time you turn around, the Department of Ecology is putting a no on the technology that we're trying to implement and we will be importing from other places. So they stopped the methanol plant at Kalama and that produces the olefins necessary for the new refrigerants, the refrigerant bill that passed last week that requires olefins to manufacture. They won't allow that plant. It will be exporting olefins to other places in the world instead of utilizing it right here at home. Same with the green apple with low carbon fuels that they wanted to build a plant in Whatcom County and the county council nixed that. I mean, it, you you can't get past the 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 dogmatic view that anything that requires engineering and manufacturing cannot be built in this state with the strict regulatory requirements. And this is the point that I think is most important that people need to understand. We have 7 million people in this state and our grid is almost 100% renewable. I mean, there is some, I mean, there's some natural gas in the grid. There's no, no doubt about that, but the majority of our power, the majority of our energy that we used in this state for everything that we do is is clean green hydro and other energy that's exported to other states and other and to Canada, and yet so you look at what we have seven million. Our carbon footprint is negligible. The gains that we make on this plan to do low carbon fuel standards, like two point two million metric tons by twenty thirty, and it's like it's like two percent of the total. And the cost of it to every individual hardworking Washingtonian is huge, huge increase in cost to buy fuel in this state. And for very negligible, negligible gains. And you look at what they have, you know, in what causes, what this causes is it causes us to export our manufacturing to China and India and other places where they have, you know, 1.2, 1.3 billion people apiece and huge manufacturing and no environmental controls. So, I mean, it's a matter of scale. I mean, we could completely shut down all life on Washington state and they will overwhelm us in their carbon emissions on the other parts of the globe. And so why should we unilaterally disarm from the economy when everything we build and manufacture in Washington state is done so much cleaner with much more um, environmental concerns, much more, um, well, just the regulatory infrastructure that's there prevents us from doing emissions and the innovation in our state is also real. The innovation is real and accountable. We should be allowing our, our innovators to innovate and generate the new technologies as we go forward, instead of saying to Department of Ecology, you pick the technology and lock it in forever, when that might not be the right answer. And that's the thing that gets me is that these policies um, assume that the government is the only source or arbiter of things that are good. And and it just isn't. It just isn't true. The, the source of the miracle of what we have in America the clean, um, efficient manufacturing and, and products is because the free market creates that. And, and that is the answer, is to allow the innovation to occur in that space because it creates lower costs and better quality. And just by the fact that thousands of people are making 
very informed individual choices every day, every moment of every day. People are making choices, and that drives drives the innovation, the creativity in America, which is unique. And they're absolutely trying to kill that. Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District joining us. Representative Dye, we know that there is a, another bill that's been introduced on the heels of the state Supreme Court's ruling last week regarding uh, Washington State's law about drug possession. And it's basically thrown things upside down. We know that there's a bill that's been introduced to try and um, cover for that. But what is that state Supreme Court decision done, and what position does it put law enforcement in? Well, it's it's shocking, really, when you think about it. Um, if you just if we could all spend a day in the in the life of a of one of our police officers, I think we would understand the frustration. Um, there are a number of people that are working on language for legislation to get that in in right away to deal with this thing, but. A day in the life of our officer is that they're dealing with people that they may have encountered multiple times, but finally end up getting a place where that person can be um, brought into incarceration. And oftentimes that'll that'll involve a, a plea. So a lot of the people that will be released from the decisions that were made are people that have had multiple interactions with the police and have plead their their situation and you know the fact that it's based on you know it, it seems like the scouts honor or something oh i just i didn't know i had that on in my possession you know that that just kind of it just is defies logic really because obviously there are many people out there that don't have good intent that are trying to do things. And I think the biggest thing that bothers me the most about this um, kind of a look the other way view about drugs is that we're not getting after the people that are profiting from the addiction and the, and the horrible ruination of people's lives. You know, we're not getting after the cartels. We're not getting after the dealers. We're not creating strong disincentives for continuing this. And you go to Seattle and you go to these big cities and you walk past these people who are just suffering tremendous addiction and tremendous loss. And you look at them and you think that's somebody's son or daughter. That's somebody's husband or wife. That's somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend. That's somebody's loved one that is sitting there in that place lost and broken and if we don't get after the the people that are selling those products people that are you know causing the just the tremendous amount of a flow of fentanyl and other horrible drugs coming into our society and destroying a whole generation of people's lives i just i i it just it's a travesty it's an injustice that the court would rule the way they did and it's so naive it, it it just belies the reality that our officers on the street deal with daily, day to day, as they try to bring people into the system to get them either incarcerated and then into help of some nature or incarcerated so that they don't continue to market these terrible poisons to people. And, you know, it's it's like it's tearing our culture apart and we can't bear the weight of this burden forever 
we have to deal with this in a more realistic and holistic way and recognize that the people on the street made choices, but they also became entrapped and that they bought that from someone and someone is making profit over their, their um, horrible, horrible situation. And I just, I find it unconscionable that the judge, that the judges would rule this way. Like just because we legalized marijuana, which in my opinion is a gateway drug, but just because we legalized that does not mean that you can turn a blind eye on the heroin and the fentanyl in the street and the homelessness and the, and the misery that we are seeing in the streets of our cities. And I just, I'm just shocked that that is, that's how they ruled. And I don't know if there was some weird word that was written in the bill that some lawmaker missed or whatever, but it needs fixed. And there will be a number of people, I'm sure, that are going to be drafting legislation to show their ideas on how they will fix it. But in my heart and mind is that somewhere in that bill, there has to be a strong statement an affirmation that we have to go against the criminals that are doing this to our people, our kids, because we're losing a whole generation of kids because the attitude is that it's, it's not harmful. And if it just use your eyes, people, and you see the people that are out there on the street in the city and you know what's going on. It's, it's, it's tearing our, our society apart. Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District in Pomeroy, thank you very much for your time today. Always appreciate talking with you, and uh, best of luck through the rest of the legislative session. Hopefully we talk with you again before it's over. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take a quick time out. Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA. Back to wrap up Hour 1 after this. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Jason Hogage with American Family Insurance, waiting to hear from you. If you're not happy with your current insurance, contact the only American Star Certified Agent with American Family Insurance through his website, jasonhogue.com. Talk to him about car, life, homeowners, small business, farm insurance, American Family Insurance, big umbrella that you could fit under. Contact Jason Hogue today through his website, jasonhogue.com. So uh, just finished, it took all of about two minutes, literally, uh, for Governor Jay Inslee to have a bill signing ceremony. He signed two bills, uh, House Bill 1121 and 1131. Both of them had to deal with uh, an emergency waiver for instructional hours during a crisis, which uh, we are still in the statewide COVID emergency, uh, state of emergency. In a nutshell, it uh, changes the requirements for high school seniors who were on track to graduate and because of the pandemic were in danger of not graduating for whatever reason. So we're just going to waive everything. Don't bother coming back to school. You're out. Well, they they are getting a waiver for those uh, schools and school districts and students, much like they did at the end of last year when they closed schools down. So now, second year in a row that here's your diploma. It's only March. 
Here's your diploma. Wow. Hour number two, straight ahead. E for effort.